This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am pleased to be joined by Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. Paul, I mean, here we go, man. This is the best part of the year, right? When we start getting into finally, you know, those ranks that we had from the preseason, those summer little simulated uh, drawings and, and rankings that we were putting together. Now it starts to become a little bit more crystallized now that the actual draft has occurred. And I am so excited to be joined by our guest tonight as we begin to kind of, again, you know, DJ has his mock drafts. Well, we've got ours because this is how you roll in the Saturday to Sunday football podcast as we start to try to unpack this rookie class. Absolutely. It was a year ago today that these two men joined me to do a two-round Dynasty rookie mock draft last year, bringing them back on the show. So welcome back, Tyler Guttner and Shane Manila. Tyler, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I can't believe I was allowed back, especially <laughs> with Shane. I mean, us two together... I mean, can you get anybody that can destroy a single podcast as good as we can? I mean, we could destroy your guys' brand within one right. night, and then you guys bring us – yeah, you guys bring us back? I mean – Yeah, listen, I guess. listen, last year, last year, that episode I think went a lot better than I think you guys expected it to. You didn't derail it enough apparently because we're still here a year later. Shane, welcome back. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing awesome. I'm happy to be here with uh, my bandmate, uh, part of the New Canadians. Um, take a look out for our new record dropping um, sometime in the fall. Alternative and, uh, rock. Yeah, alternative <laughs> emo. Um, Christian rock. Christian rock. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, it, it's it's such a pleasure, you know, with all the craziness going on in our world right now. Matt and I continue to be saying that. This is a welcome distraction, having guests on, talking football, talking draft, talking fantasy, you know, rookie, you know, drafts going on right now. You know, we were just having a conversation off air about, you know, the potential of the supplemental draft, having a lot of big name prospects that we thought were going to be in this class, like the Travis Etienne's of the world and the Chubba Hubbard and Najee Harris and so many more talented wide receivers. But that's for another day. We'll see what happens with the supplemental draft and, and, and the possibility, you know, of no college football season or we'll see on the NFL. But we want to do a two round probably. We'll see how, we'll see time wise, but two round rookie mock draft, you know, one quarterback, non super flex, PPR, just to kind of make some sense of this because it's another unique class. We have a lot of talented running backs, a lot more than when you guys came on last year. And, you know, and the, and the, the depth of the class last year w- was lacking for sure compared to this year. But I do think there's a lot of ways. So why don't we get right into it? Shane, you're going to be up with the 1.01 pick. Get us started. Are you going the route of running back? You going wide receiver? Get it started for us. Well, this tight end class, really. <laughs> um, you want to make sure you get those guys earlier. You did say PPR, right? Yes. Okay, just making sure because I was playing on my phone for once. Usually I'm completely paying attention to everything that's happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to shock the room and go with Clyde's Edward Hilaire. Um, wow. Yeah. Clyde? Like yeah. plural? Yeah, there's those multiple of them. It's what's what's going to that's what it's going to feel like. He's going to be all over the field. He's going to be running routes. 
You know, I mean, what are you going to do? The guy's going to be a running back one in his rookie season. Um, yeah. If he's not top six, I'm going to be disappointed in him. Um, he keeps getting comped to Brian Westbrook. Everybody's heard the quote that Andy Reid said he's better than Brian Westbrook, which Andy needs to shut his mouth, first of all, for disrespecting a legend like Brian Westbrook. Because Brian Westbrook in that Chiefs offense would easily put up 2,500 yards a year. You like know. right now, Brian Westbrook? Because I don't know. Not now. Not now. <laughs> no. No. And uh, Brian Westbrook was the best wide uh, running back that I've ever seen running routes, ever. He was better than Falk. He was better than uh, – who's that other guy? LaDainian Tomlinson. He's better than Christian McCaffrey. Get out of here with that nonsense. Brian Westbrook was better than all of them. Um, would have been a Hall of Famer. And Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. Uh, yeah, he, he's – basically going to have a shot to put up some ridiculous numbers. Like I said, I'm expecting at least 70 receptions from the kid on a yearly basis. Um, no fear of Damian Williams because no, uh, I don't even know who else is there at this point. Now, Darwin Thompson, who uh, we all loved to last year. Um, so that's unfortunate, but yeah, CEH is the one one And if you don't take him, then you're just trying to be too cute for the room. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm I'm right there with you. I do think Clyde Edwards-Helaire should be the pick at, at 1.01. I do think that Damian Williams is going to still be involved more than we might think early on. I mean, you can make the case he could have been the MVP of the Super Bowl. I think Andy Reid will trust him, but I do think I think there's enough to go around for everybody. So even if even if Damian Williams is is getting his you know, I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and like you said, the receiving, he probably walks into 70 catches. And 70 catches, his rushing yards, you're, he's probably going to be a, you know, low-end RB1, I think, this year with the upside in the future. You know, once Damian Williams is probably in his last year there with Kansas City, you know, for him to even move up more. So I do think he makes the most sense. I know that some other people that some might have in the mix. I just think when you talk about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's skill set and that landing spot, it's hard to really make a strong case for anybody else. Is there anybody in the room that would have chosen a different person? No. I mean, any chance we've gotten – well, I, I'm in a rookie draft and trade addict seven, and I co-own it with my, with my host, Doug, and he goes a different route. But for me, I mean, we had the first three picks, so we got – both of our favorite running backs. We got to pretty much choose both of them. And, and yeah, I mean, like Shane said, Clyde Edwards Hilaire fits what the Chiefs need. He, I, you compare him to Brian Westbrook. He could also be compared to Kareem Hunt with the contact balance that he has. And I mean, look what Kareem Hunt did in that offense. I think he's more explosive than Kareem Hunt was coming out. So yeah, this, this is a perfect fit. Absolutely. And, you know, Matt, I know your fondness of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire goes deep. This, that was pre-draft. He was near the top of your board. So obviously post-draft, you know, we did our ranking show earlier, you know, in the week. And obviously he was at the top of yours. So I think needless to say, he would he would be your 1.01. Correct, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, if I had the chance to to talk later, I did have some movement this week as I kind of settled into my own kind of rosters. But yeah, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is definitely the number one at the running back position. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if I get my guy a little bit later. Sounds good. Tyler, you're up at the 1.02 pick. Keep this going. Who is the next player running back or wide receiver you're thinking? Oh, man. It, this is actually really tough. A lot of people won't think it it would be, but oh god, 
You know what? I'm going to stick to my rankings. I'm going to go DeAndre Swift. Okay, DeAndre Swift. Now, um, a lot of people are going to be screaming at this podcast. You guys are losing ratings. Like I said, I'm trying my best <laughs> to really derail you guys. Um, but no, DeAndre Swift, I just think people look at the history of Detroit running backs, and that's the wrong way to do things because I don't think Detroit's had a running back like this since Javid Best. And I actually think Swift is more talented than Javid Best. And Javid Best was ultra-talented for Detroit, but he had his injuries, which derailed his career. I think he was on his way to have a fantastic career. But DeAndre Swift, I think, is a more prolific pass catcher, and that is why I'm taking Swift in this pick, because I think he's going to have 50-plus receptions year one. Carry on, yeah, he may get the first and second down more, but I think Swift is going to be used in a Camara-like role where they're going to move him around the formation. They're going to use him everywhere on the field, and I still think with the touches he gets, he's going to to do very well with them. I mean, Detroit doesn't have a horrible offensive line. They do have some holes they need to fix in it, but I mean, uh, on that turf, I just think Swift is going to going to be very productive right from year one. Yeah, I mean, Swift was my and Matt's uh, one point, uh, our top rated rookie running back. And, you know, I think people get very down on situations sometimes, you know, post-draft. And and the truth of the matter is, you know, we don't know what tomorrow in terms of the NFL is going to bring. And, you know, things change so much from year to year. I mean, all we got to do is look at, you know, where Todd Gurley is right now, where Melvin Gordon is. And, you know, and the list goes on and on, you know. So I think in the situation of DeAndre Swift, if you're betting on talent alone, I still believe he's the most talented running back in this class. I did move him down a little bit based on landing spots and schematic fits. And I guess part of me still refuses to give up on carry on Johnson, even though the Lions decision makers seem to be hinting that they, they hate him. are giving him up on him. <laughs> so they, they seem to really dislike him or maybe because he can't stay healthy, but whatever the case may be. So he wouldn't have been my pick at 1.02, but I absolutely love the player. And I think sometimes we do worry too much about immediate depth chart and opportunity and sometimes lose sight of the talent of the player. And I think this is a scenario where, yeah, it might be a little bit outside the box thinking in terms of, you know, what, what the majority and the consensus is out there right now for, for the top of the, the, the board in terms of rookie drafts, but the player himself, shouldn't be getting questions because I think yep, he's that and, talented of a player. And what I always say on our podcast is last year I fell into the trap where I like Sanders way better than Montgomery. Montgomery fell into a better spot and was, you know, touted to get more touches. So I, you know, I, I followed the herd. I moved Montgomery above Sanders. And I told myself at the beginning of the year, I'm not going to fall into that trap. I'm going to stick with what I think landing spots. Yeah. They can change like, Clyde Edwards-Alaire changed big time, but that was an obvious change. And with Swift, I mean, he still had the draft capital, and I, I still think Detroit's offense is very prolific when Stafford's under center. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you, and I think it's going to be interesting. And, you know, I think Shane said it before about Clyde Edwards-Alaire catching, you know, 70 passes. I think him and Swift were the top two pass-catching running backs in this class, clearly. I think Swift is the capability to be a 60-70 to 70 catch guy as well. Like, I see some Alvin Kamara in DeAndre Swift's game. I do. So I, I do think he, he's a guy that, you know, might fall a little bit in, in some people's rookie drafts, you know, out of the top couple picks. But I think he still could be 
you know, the most talented of the group and, and make people pay for passing them up. Matt, let me kick it over to you. 1.03, where are you going from the running backs? I assume running back, but maybe you surprise us. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm actually going to go with the running back position. And this was uh, exactly where I made my change. I've kind of like, you know, I went back to my pre-draft rankings and I've kind of like, you know, fell back into sticking a little bit more with the skill set that I saw previously. And um, I've made a change in my own rankings. I have put J.K. Dobbins ahead of Jonathan Taylor, and I'm going to take J.K. Dobbins at number three, and I'm going to forego Jonathan Taylor, and I'm going to go with the player that I think the versatility down the road is clearly there on film. You know, he's maybe not the most dynamic of route runners, but he's caught some passes. He can be effective in the open field. I think he's been a dynamic playmaker for Ohio State, and I think there's every reason to believe that that offense is only on the precipice of beginning to become what it's going to be. And if we think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be the player that is going to be locked and loaded as a potential, you know, um, not just dump off, but but not just gadget player, but weapon for Kansas City, I can totally see what they're trying to do in Baltimore. I, I see them trying to stretch the field horizontally. They're trying to create seams and gaps by making defenders spread out across the, you know, 53 and a third yards to try to cover everybody that can kind of stretch the field. And they have a couple of guys that can go deep. And I really think that JK Dobbins is locked and loaded. Uh, not just this year. I think he will be competent this year. I think we're talking like a low RB2, RB2, RB3. I think that's where he sits, which is effective. But I think next year, I think you're talking about a guy who's going to be on the precipice of being uh, RB2, RB1. And I think Jonathan Taylor, may people may say, hey, listen, you're foregoing a guy who's going to be locked and loaded as the primary running back, and why would you do that? And I'll just leave it here and say because I think the versatility of J.K. Dobbins' game, not to mention the fact that I think Baltimore as a team in terms of what they're trying to put together and they're trying to do, and also as an organization, I just – I, I just kind of believe in where they're going to go and why that pick was there. And there's already been things that says that that was their highest rated running back and that's who they wanted. And well, you know what? I thought he was, I thought for a long time he was the second best running back in the draft, but Clyde Edwards Hilaire convinced me over the last year that he deserved to be up there. And those three guys, Swift, Edwards Hilaire and JK Dobbins for me were my top three. And I, I see no reason if I think the, if I think the situations are comparable then I'm going to stick to my guns and stick to the guys that I thought preseason were the better players. And I'm going to stick with JK Dobbins here at number three. Or yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I love, I love the, I love the pick. I love the player. JK Dobbins was my number two running back before the draft. I do agree with you that he's going to have more value this year than we think, but it's going to kind of be, I'm glad Tyler brought it up before about kind of how Miles Sanders, he kind of was like a crescendo of building as the year went on. Yep. I kind of think that's exactly what's going to happen here with JK Dobbins. I think the year's going to start where it's going to be like 65, 35 Ingram to Dobbins. And then, you know, by mid season, it's going to be 50, 50. And then I wouldn't be surprised if come week 10, week 12, you start to see the rookie, you know, getting 60% of the workload. And then I think after the year, Mark Ingram goes his ways. And I think J.K. Dobbins becomes the lead guy. You know, 65%, give or take, everyone's in some type of committees for the most part. So in that offense, and let's be honest, Lamar Jackson's going to have a couple of ridiculous running years like he had this year. But as he get, as he continues to get, a, you know, a little bit older and take more hits, he's going to start preserving his body, whether he does it 
or whether the Ravens do it for him and call less of those running plays. So, yeah, so I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I would expect Lamar Jackson to put up silly, gaudy rushing stats for at least two more years. But they might then start to even cut that back a little bit, which then might open it up even more for whoever the running back, you know, is there. And I think J.K. Dobbins will probably be there for, you know, obviously his first contract. And then after that, you never really know what happens now with these running backs, as we've seen, you know, across the league for the most part. But interesting pick. I, I would, I'm glad I don't, I didn't have to make it because I've been wrestling with him and the guy I'm going to pick, you know, as my number two, uh, anyway. So I'm going to pick at the 1.04 spot. Jonathan Taylor couldn't get, couldn't land up in a better situation and a better scheme for his style of running. My one concern about Jonathan Taylor, or I'll say two, my two concerns about Jonathan Taylor were, were one, what could he do in terms of pass catching? And I still think that's a concern. But my second concern about Jonathan Taylor was I think he had to end up with a team that had a good offensive line, a power offensive line that was going to generate a lot of holes because once he hits those holes and gets started, he's almost impossible to either catch or take down once he builds up you know, that energy. And if he ended up with it behind a poor offensive line, then I think he's not a guy who creates for himself in the backfield. So he landed in the perfect situation for him in terms of type of running back and the team I do still think he's going to be a little bit more touchdown dependent than some of these other guys who I do think you know J.K. Dobbins could be a 40-50 catch guy you know we already talked about Edward Tiller and Swift being potentially 60-70 catch guys to me Jonathan Taylor is going to be like in terms of pass catching ability Leonard Fournette so if a year breaks right where he just catches a lot of check down passes like like Leonard Fournette did last year then sure, he could have a really productive receiving season. But that's rare. And I think with the addition, you know, now in Jacksonville of Chris Thompson, I don't think we ever see Leonard Fournette ever approach those pass-catching numbers again. I think Jonathan Taylor is very similar in that regards. But I do think he's going to be a guy who's going to carry a heavy workload. I don't know how much in year one because Marlon Mack's a pretty competent running back as well. But I do think eventually he becomes a guy who isn't that workhorse. 18 to 20 carries a game, double-digit touchdowns. So I think his upside is, you know, is of an RB1. We've seen Derrick Henry. We've seen Leonard Fournette put up RB1 seasons. I think Jonathan Taylor could get to that. But I think he's a little bit more dependent upon touchdowns than some of the other guys if they hit their ceiling. Those other guys are going to get a lot more points in the pass catching aspect of it. So, Shane, let me bring it over to you. Any thoughts on what just transpired with after your pick of Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Swift, Dobbins, Taylor, anything really, you know, uh, stand out there? And then uh, you can talk about that and then go right into your pick at 1.05. Yeah, I'm happy to see Dobbins didn't fall uh, below 103. I think he's going to, you can't say a steal and you kind of feel like, you know what I mean? But when, when I've seen him fall to like 104, fall, Jesus, but 104, 105, I'm like, Jesus, just let me trade up and get him because. I, I, yeah, I, I think he's got RB1 upside easy. I think he's an absolute monster. Um, and yeah, you know, there are those concerns there. He's a 31 year old Mark Ingram. Well, there's also the chance that the guy's 31. There's a good chance he breaks down in week two where he gets what we've seen from him when he was like 24. I mean, he hasn't been the bill yeah. of health his, his whole career. So. Well, you know what? That was weird. He actually has been pretty healthy except for those, those first couple years. The next eight, he's been pretty good. Um, I mean, because he's 31 and he's still a productive running back in the league, which is in and of itself is an outlier. But he he's a next Frank Gore. Yeah, he's well, a next Frank Gore. <laughs> he, he could definitely pop a hammy. He's old. 
Um, <laughs> I just I feel like people are underrating Dobbins for whatever reason. Um, the only reason I have CEH over him is because of the landing spot. Um, but Dobbins is my 102. Swift is, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, Matt Patricia frightens me, but the good news is he should be fired after this year. Um, my problem with Taylor is, as far as pass catching is Marlon Mack was a competent, very good receiver in college. They refused to even let him attempt to catch the ball. Um, so I can't imagine they're going to let Taylor now all of a sudden who showed less in college catch the ball. Maybe I hope I'm wrong, but you know, they, they showed it with Mac. They don't seem to trust them for whatever reason, but Taylor's another great running back. I mean, like you look at those four guys and you know, if you, you criticize one of them, it's small criticisms. These aren't like the complete holes in the game. Like last year where David Montgomery was the third best back. And you're like, I don't even know if this guy's a legitimate, like starting running back in the league. Um, that said, I'm going to skip over the next running back that would fall on this list. And I'm just going to go ahead and grab CD lamb. Um, Thank you. The more I look at it, you know, <laughs> my rankings keep getting moved around too. And part of it's being in real drafts and going, yeah, I'm, I don't really feel this way. Cause originally I had it the five running backs than everyone else. And as I draft, I'm like, that's not what I want to do. My thumb keeps scrolling down the CD lamb or Jalen or someone else on the board. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just think he's going to be an absolute stud, a star in Dallas. Um, You know, that first night you're like, oh, but he's got to compete with Amari and he's got to compete with Gallup and he's got to compete with Zeke. These are all short-term problems. In two years, Zeke is washed if he's not washed next year, but at least after the next two years, he's washed. They can get out of Amari's Cooper contract, which they're probably going to have to, because they're going to have to pay Dak at some point. Oh, they're already talking about him being the highest paid player in the NFL. Yeah. They're just trying to, they're just trying to get down to the years and how long it's going to be. Yeah. And even still, I mean, even year one, you know, just looking at the targets that they had last year, I know their defense might be, who knows what defense you can't ever predict if it's going to be better, but if it's, relatively the same there's no reason that he can't get 80 receptions this year as a rookie he's that good um and from everything uh, i've heard zach say uh what's zach's last name uh new canadian over there zach uh reed yeah zach reed and I for, you made me forget it. You were yeah. forgetting. He keeps pointing so out that there's a really good chance that cd lamb's going to be running out of the slot there um he should be yeah. He should be. He has to be right now. What That's- slot cornerback is covering him? I feel bad for them. I feel bad for their family because they're going to have to watch them get dominated. Um, Just going to be embarrassing. <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, whatever. In two years, he'll he'll be ready to ascend to the lead role or whatever, and Amari can move on. Or, shit, maybe they keep Amari. I don't know. These are good problems. I mean, he's I, – I think he's easily the best wide receiver in the class. And – the only reason I've drafted other wide receivers above him is because I have green colored glasses and the landing spot was better. Um, but gun to my head. Yeah. I'm taking CD. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think again, people get enamored with the immediate wanting players to be number one wide receivers. And they sometimes, you know, I think usually, you know, sanity prevails as you get a little bit further away from the immediate night of the draft. You know, I, I remember going on multiple podcasts and then my own podcast when people were freaking out about Calvin Ridley going to Atlanta, that he could never be, 
you know, this great fantasy. I mean, look at the first two years. People still, for some reason, don't really like Calvin Ridley. And all he's done, I think he scored like 18 touchdowns. And Julio's eventually going to get a little older. And I think Calvin... Don't will- say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think the CD Lamb is the same thing. Like, maybe he's on the trajectory to have 18 touchdowns his first two years. Like Calvin Ridley, even if Amari Cooper is still, you know, the lead guy there in some capacity, just like Julio Jones is... For Atlanta, I mean, I heard something today. I don't remember the exact stat, but if you just see the amount of targets that Randall Cobb and Jason Witten got for them last year, and you just say, well, even if he gets 75 or 80% of those targets, and then Michael Gallup's targets come down a little bit and he gets a little bit more of those, you're, you're putting him in position where he's probably going to catch 60 to 70 passes year one. And we all know the upside and damage that he can do with that. And long term, he probably does have the highest ceiling of, of the group. He's my number, he's my second favorite wide receiver. But in terms of ceiling, I, I do think his ceiling is higher than the guy I have in terms of number one, who will he'll get taken momentarily, I'm, I'm sure. But and we'll, and we'll get into it. But I do want to go back to one thing you said, Shane, and it kind of puts a bow on the, the top four picks of the running backs and how close they all were. You had the first pick in the draft. If any of those, obviously you took Clyde or Tulare, if any of the other three were taken by the Chiefs, would that have been the pick at 1.01, yeah. you think? If, if someone just swapped it out? Yeah, not yeah. even a doubt. I mean, if uh, the guy that's still on the board um, available, if he was there, he would have been the 101. Um, I really wish Dobbins would have ended there. I know he's not that <laughs> – he doesn't really fit their system the way they, they want to use the running back. But, Jesus, that would be beautiful to watch. He'd run for 30 touchdowns just because they're, they're you know, they're on that side of the field all the time. But, anyway, yeah, yeah, whoever landed there was going to be the 101. Yeah, and I think it just shows you how thin the margin is between those guys. And it was thin before the draft, and we thought the draft was maybe going to help sort things out a little bit. And besides, one of them ended up in Kansas City – they all, for the most part, still the margin between them in their landing spots is still pretty thin as well. So let's keep this going, Tyler, 1.06. Shea made this super easy for me, and it is Cam Akers. I love Cam Akers. I am on the on the Akers hype train. I just think people are just – I don't know why. He's so used to running behind an absolutely terrible offensive line. I don't care what offensive line he's going to. He could run behind dummies. And I think he would still run pretty well. He is ultra talented. He's still learning the position. What is this year four that he's an actual running back? So he's still learning the position. And I think he's the most talented running back in this class next to Swift. And the the landing spot, a lot of people are like, oh, well, Daryl Henderson's going to get run. Yeah, maybe until they actually see what Akers can do with the ball. And he can actually run between the tackles and he can actually catch passes out of the backfield at like way better than Daryl Henderson. The thing with Cam Akers is he weighed in at 217. I thought he'd be around 209, 210, but he weighed in a lot, a little heavier, which I like to see. And I do think the Rams offensive line will get better. I mean, you can't get worse. I mean, they were not that great. And I, I really do think that Akers is going to be a steal in rookie drafts, especially with this kind of how he's looking right now. I know in UDPL, Shane's in it with me. I got Swift at 106, and I took – I got Akers at 106, and then I took Swift at 108. It's a super flex league, but I ended up with the same pair, and I was ecstatic. I mean, I was so pumped about that, and I I still think the Rams' offense is going to be dynamic. Sean McVay is going to find a way. I think – 
I think Bilicic was still in his head last year after the Super Bowl. I just think it was eating at him. But I think McVay is going to come back fresh. I, I honestly think that Akers is going to surprise people year one. And uh, people are going to be reaping the benefits of him dropping to 106, 107, just because they're going to overthink it and just think the Rams are a bad offense now. Yeah, I mean, Tyler, you don't have to sell Ken Akers for this podcast because Matt and I are very much here at Saturday Sunday pro Cam Akers. We stayed strong on that, even as everything around him at Florida State came crumbling down. I mean, he's probably going to be pretty used to the offensive line being pretty poor yeah. at, for the Rams because he's been playing behind a horrific offensive line for years. But yeah, w- we believe in the talent, the scheme that McAvey hopefully dials up and gets back to opening up space and creating space. You know, I think I think he's going to thrive in there. You know, I, I was in on Darrell Henderson last year in rookie drafts because I think the writing was on the wall that Gurley was not going to be in for the long haul. And that's what made me aggressively the landing spot last year. I didn't love Darrell Henderson, the player. I liked him. But I love Cam Akers, the player. So now I, I think it's clear that maybe they didn't get out of Darrell Henderson what they were expecting. I'm not even talking about actual production in the field because he basically gave him nothing. I'm talking about they must have sourced something in Darrell Henderson that thought. And then when he got there, they didn't see that, whether it was in practice or something. You don't trade up and invest a valuable top 100 pick in Henderson and then never even get him on the field. So I don't know if it was learning the offense. I don't know if it was a schematic fit issue. Whatever the case was, it's, it, it became obvious that they were not that high on him. And making another pick in this year's draft, even earlier than the year before, is it is direct indictment on Darrell Henderson. We can sit here and joke about the Lions taking Swift. You know, Carrion Johnson's had two years, and he's been injured twice. They, they're basically giving up on Darrell Henderson being a big part of their offense, and he didn't even step on the football field. Yeah, and it's it's so funny how they're polar opposites. I mean, Akers ran probably through the smallest holes I've ever seen a running back run through, and then Darrell Henderson in college ran through the largest holes I think I've ever seen a running back run through. So, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy how they're going to come into that offense. And I, I, like you guys said, I mean – Florida State's offensive line was a bunch of Jurassic Park dinosaur poop lined up in five piles, and that is what Acres ran behind. <laughs> Listen, it, it's spot on, and your your point about the the size of the rushing lanes that Darrell Henderson had in college. I think the only person that could say not so fast might be Richard Penny and what he had at San Diego State. <laughs> but, but those two, those two weren't asked to make a lot of people miss because they just didn't really have to in college. Penny played seven man football. Yeah. Real quick, Tyler, um, stop acting like you're all smart because you got Acres at 106. You got Acres at 106 because this class is absolutely ridiculous. Oh yeah, super. I mean, flex. You are gonna have awesome players at 110, 111. It's, super it's flex. Good. It's beautiful. You're at 201. You're like I don't. I don't. Justin Jefferson. Do I want Denzel Mims? I mean, like, I just God don't want damn. a bunch of people in three years coming back like, oh, I was super smart. I drafted Acres at 106. You drafted Acres at 106 because it's a great class. Like Shane, this class, super smart. I don't know. You're definitely not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know um, where any of the guys from last year were to fall. In, in I'm looking for a new band member. Like Josh Jacobs was what consensus 101. I think he's he'd be the 107 in this class, if not further down. And Miles Sanders would be higher, but that's only because I know what I know now. But Your green colored glasses too. 
Hmm? Your green colored glasses too. Well, no, because he's he's basically better than Alvin Kamara. I mean, let's just be honest. You see <laughs> it on the field if you watch football. Come on, Tyler. Uh, Matt, get this back on the rails at 1.07. Well, I don't know if I'm really going to bring it back on the rails or if I'm just going to send Shane running through the house with his shirt off, running around as I take the next player here, which is I I, I got to tell you something. He was probably my number two wide receiver all year, preseason, um, into the season. Uh, I just believe in his game. I mean, you know, I'll tell you what I what I had in the, you know, scouting notebook was I said best suited to a vertical or West Coast passing scheme from the slot position where he can utilize his acceleration, agility, route deception, body control, catch radius, hands and contact fidelity to attack all levels of the field. And I'm talking about Mr. Jalen Rager. And I'm going to go ahead and take Jalen Rager here because I do think Jerry Judy is a fantastic player those are the two players that i was waffling between i have no problem um with people flip-flopping them or having issues with it but i think he went to a great situation for what he can do as a receiver i do think that you know when you look at zach ertz and you look at dallas goddard i i do think those guys are going to be stalwarts in terms of targets but i don't think that that means the distribution is always going to be the same i can't imagine you know that they're going to, uh, you know, that they're going to hold themselves back from throwing the ball down the field just to get Dallas Goddard more targets. I can't imagine Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson being unsupplantable in that offense. I feel like Jalen Rager was taken with purpose, and I think he's a weapon that, when purposely used, can be absolutely dynamic on the field. And I think that people shy away from him because there's a lot to be skeptical of in terms of the type of situation he was in at TCU, the production that he put up, there's a lot of skepticism, but I think that this goes back to, you know, why you have to ask yourself, you know, what was he asked to do? What were the problems he had on the field and how did he solve them? And he showed a lot of sensitivity to a lot of different ways of doing that. Listen, he did not show a lot of, you know, press coverage, beating press coverage. That was something that even now lingers. But then again, we can argue for a lot of these guys, including Mr. CD lamb, that he did not see a lot of press coverage and when he did, yes, he was successful. And yes, each of these guys were successful when they saw it. But these guys didn't have, you know, cornerbacks in their face. And they really didn't. And so, you know, now, you know, there's a little bit of prognostication here, I think, for every one of these receivers that we're going to talk about in this area. And I think you could easily kind of go a lot of different ways. But I believe in Jalen Rager as a player. I think he is, um, he, I think he's a utility weapon that you can use in a lot of different ways. I think he's going to be something that is Philadelphia's easily kind of slotted in and deploying him downfield. You know, I, I see those, I see those, I see those weird kind of, you know, figments in the distance of those Steve Smith type players. I think he's that good. And I, I think he can be that good. Now, what does that mean for you fantasy wise? Listen, I think his ceiling, his ceiling is obviously wide receiver one. I think it's more realistic to consider him a wide receiver three in this year. And then I think you see him start taking over at the end of the year and becoming a consistent wide receiver too. And then I think see, you really re- see what happens from there. See, when, when you say Steve Smith, I would have to say I, since Hills came into the league, he actually reminds me a lot of Hill. When you watch him against big 12, I get big 12 defense is just, I mean, they're standing there watching the receivers run, but his explosiveness mm-hmm. is very comparable. And his body build is very comparable mm-hmm. to Tyreek Hill. And that, if he can be 70% of what Tyreek Hill is, I mean, this is a heck of a pick. 
It, you would take that yeah. every day. So I, I don't. I think he's a safe all. player, Tyler. You know, I think there's yeah. a safety to him in in terms of everything. If we're talking purely fantasy, Tyler, I think he is a safe player at that position. I know. I know. CD Lamb has the upside, and if you're saying who could be safe, there, I think those guys. I think CD Lamb and him are very safe. I don't yep. think and there's much to say. You when know? when Jalen Hurts is throwing him the deep ball, it is sure. going to. <laughs> I, had, I had to just do it. Ginger I love Carson Wentz. Um, no, you know I love Carson Wentz, and that hurt me to even joke about. So I, I <laughs> Carson Wentz is such a buy low right now in Dynasty. That looks ridiculous. I don't even want to get into it. But real quick, and, and I've heard I've heard Rager falling as far as as like the one ten one eleven in twelve team leagues too. I got him. I got him at one. I got him at one eleven in a single quarterback league, That's, and I listen, was I was pumped. And I won't criticize people. Listen, we we all could be wrong. You could look back in this in like two years, and everybody's wrong. So I mean, it, 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 there's no guarantees, but I think that it's I, I think that the situation itself I think warrants top top eight consideration. Yeah, yeah. I think people, as a player, you know, anytime a player is fast, um, and yeah, his forty time wasn't great, but that's because he put on fifteen pounds of like you know water weight or whatever. But anytime a player is fast, they seem to assume that that's the only thing they do. Well, he's just going to run deep. No, they're going to use him. And I know it it wasn't a lot, but they had Deshaun Jackson healthy for one game last year, and they used him. I know the big plays were the fifty yard touchdowns, but they used him all all over the field. They used him underneath. They threw him a screen. You know what I mean? They used him intermediate in the intermediate routes, and that's what they'll do at Rager. Look. The talent, there's no competition. I mean, there's just, it's barren um, unless Jay Jaw can come around in year two. So it, it really is a perfect situation for him and the perfect quarterback for him because, yeah, he, he will go deep a lot too because Carson Wentz loves to throw the deep ball and they've been trying to get him a deep, someone that can actually, you know, run a deep route for about his career now. So. Yeah, I mean, I love I love the, the the comps and the description you guys are talking about, Rager. I know from last summer the name that I was throwing out there was Brandon Cooks that he reminded me of, but he doesn't. Yeah. But the body type is a little bit thicker. So when you when you talked about you know the body type of Tyree Kill or Steve Smith, I think that the, that frame fits more. And you know, Tyler, you brought up Tyree Kill and you know Doug Peterson coming from Kansas City, coming from that Andy Reid background. I I expect to see a lot of touches for Jalen Rager, very similar to Tyreek Hill early in his career as he continues to refine his overall receiving capabilities, you know, making that transition from the Big 12 where nobody plays defense to the NFC East where, you know, the Giants have upgraded their DBs, you know, the Redskins, you know, suspect there, Cowboys, you know, lost lost Brian Jones, uh, you know, tried to, you know, go into the draft and Trayvon Diggs in round two. So it'll be interesting to kind of see that. But I, I do think he ended up in a good situation with a coach that will understand how to put him in situations to be successful. So that's going to be interesting. I'll keep this going. My decision was made easier uh, by Matt's pick there. While I like Jalen Rager, <laughs> my number one wide receiver is still on the board. So I'm going to select him, and that is Jerry Judy. Uh, I don't love the landing spot in terms of fantasy. 
I, I love it in terms of complementing and fitting with Cortland Sutton for a real life perspective. I, I don't think those two, you know, literally could match any better than they do. And then what they did in the second round, taking KJ Hamler really, you know, puts all the pieces together in terms of giving, you know, Drew Locke every possible, uh, you know, type of receiver to, to be successful with. But I do think, you know, Jared Judy was my number one receiver pre-draft. C.D. Lamb was a close, close second. Love him as well. I think Jared Judy will see the transition quickest from Saturday to Sunday. You know, no pun intended there in terms of his rat running ability, his the, the level of the competition he faced at the SEC. Wait, I don't get that. Saturday. <laughs> well, you know what it is because like our show title is Saturday, and then it actually I'm lost. that that's your guys' show name. Oh my god, I'm in, the, I'm in the wrong show. I'm in the wrong show. I'm so sorry. I'm booting him out. Uh, Tom Brady, this podcast. I'm next door. <laughs> but I mean, Jerry, Jerry, Judy. Again, his fantasy ceiling, I think, is going to be a lot dictated by the development of Drew Locke, and it makes it a little bit makes it a little bit scary in that regards. And the fact that Corlin Sutton is a very, very, very talented receiver in his own right, I think it might be a scenario where they, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, both hinder each other a little bit that no one ever really becomes a wide receiver one. And maybe they both end up living in the world of wide receiver twos. You know, maybe they can eventually, you know, be as successful as Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs. I mean, I think that's what anybody who has them in fantasy has to be hoping for and looking. But does it does this offense, you know, have enough to go around there, you know, with the addition of Noah Fant last year, you know, they signed Melvin Gordon. They still have Philip Lindsay. I already mentioned they drafted another big play wide receiver in round two. So I think those are some of the concerns. But in terms of just pure talent, I think he's I think he's got it based on his crisp route running, his separation quickness. He could win at all three levels of the field. So I'm betting on the talent, and that's why he's still my number one. But I see I don't see the ceiling that we talked about before with CD Lamb. I think you could even make the case if, if Jalen Rager hits his ceiling, it might be higher than Jerry Judy. Uh but from just my film eval, Judy was my number one guy. I'm going to bet that it translates. It just at what level does it translate, I think, is the question there. Does he ever reach wide receiver one or high wide receiver two status? Or does he live more in the you know low wide receiver two, the mid wide receiver two to me? I think he's safe. I just don't know if he has the ceiling of some of the other guys we talked about. But I'm okay. And especially at 1.08, I'm more than okay taking him. Shane, yeah, no, any I- thoughts on that or anyone want to jump in? Judy, I, I like Judy. He just, it, yeah, it feels very safe. He feels like, exactly like you said, the ceiling's going to be capped. But, I mean, that's as we look at it right now. I mean, who knows what happens. Maybe Drew Locke actually isn't what He's they good. end up needing. I'm just saying, it, it could be. I know Denver's all in on him, um, and the fans are all in on him. But maybe they end up with a different type of quarterback that likes to throw the ball 40 times a game. Or maybe their defense, you know, continues to regress and they have to throw the ball 40 times a game. Also, I think people need to reassess what they think a wide receiver one and a wide receiver two are going to do scoring wise. Um, Because we've never had this level of wide receiver talent um, on this many different teams. Um, The days where you would have one dominant target, like Devontae Adams in green Bay, except for Devontae Adams in green Bay, those are over. 
Um, it's just not going to be, but there's still enough room there for both those guys to get 120 targets. Um, so I like the Judy pick. Um, I'd say he's probably my three as well. So, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with where he went. Um, Tyler, I'll kick it to you. You have something profound to say? You look like you're thinking. No, I, I love Judy. He's actually my wide receiver 1B. And I'm going to take my 1A. And that is Justin Jefferson. Wait a minute, you uh, skipped Shane. Wait. Oh, damn it. <laughs> wow. So I meant. So from Justin, LSU over to you. <laughs> I meant Justin Jakerson. Well, well, Shane, now you now you just have to take Justin Jefferson just to annoy you. I mean, just to just to piss you off, I really do. But you know what? I'm gonna go and I talked about this on Twitter today. There's always a guy that I fade. And then I look a little further and know him after the draft and I go, I probably shouldn't fade this guy. And I'm going to go with Henry Ruggs. Um, Solid. I mean, I, I know the, the criticisms are that he didn't produce at a level we wanted to him in college. I mean, and I understand that, yes, all the analytics folks, you know, they, they've shown how teammates shouldn't affect that, that you should be able to break out even if you have, college, or, you know, if you have NFL prospects on your roster. I don't know that we've ever seen that many NFL prospects on one wide receiving core in a, in a year. I mean, I just don't, I think if there's an outlier to bet on, I think it's probably him. The dude is blazing fast. Um, but that's not all he does. Um, he's probably going to take at least three or four slants to the house uh, this year, just turning on the jets and Derek Carr is going to have one of those, you know, three touchdown games on, you know, seven passes, uh, seven uh, completions. So I'm going to go with Ruggs because I think his upside is higher than uh, my, my good old Minnesotian friend over there. Um, and I also didn't want to steal it from him because I know he's all hyped and he's like, oh, he's mine. Oh, oh, I, I, have so much, I have so much I get to talk about him. Hey. So much information I had ready and, oh. I know. I don't math, wanna, math is tough. Keeping the order. I have no idea what the order is. I got to be honest with you. If Paul didn't say something right there, I, I would have just continued on. <laughs> I saw your face. You're just acting like nothing was happening. Just all right. Okay. Shane, Shane, I do want to say one thing about the rug zone, and I'm glad you brought it up because four wide receivers from that Alabama offense are going to be first round picks in a two year span. You know, Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddell are going to be first round picks next year. Maybe Devonta Smith in the supplemental draft. I know we already talked about that, but I mean, I do think, listen, I'm, I'm the first person, Matt and I, two math teachers here, you know, correlation sometimes doesn't always mean causation. And I honestly do believe in this situation, I know some people, you know, even the market share that Jerry Judy had, people were questioning it and, and a little bit down on it. And then the Henry Rugg stuff as well. I do believe that Tua just spread it out to appease everybody, keep everybody happy. This week's a Judy week, this week, you know, and sometimes even in, during the game, I feel like that went like that. I think if Henry Ruggs was playing in the Big 12 anywhere, he would have put up 80 catches for like 1,500 yards and, you know, would have been dancing in the end zone and put up Corey Coleman type stats, you know what I mean, from a couple years ago. Like, I, I really don't think, you know, that is something that people should hold against Henry Ruggs. I know people do, the people who are very much into the the analytical side of it, you know, look at that as a negative. But I do think, I think the bigger issue at hand is can Derek Carr take advantage 
of his skill set. I think that, I mean, they're going to have to scheme him up and get him touches in the short to intermediate range to, to maximize his skill set because I'm not really sure Carr is going to be willing to push it down. But we'll see. Alex Smith once upon a time was very reluctant to go down the field, but then he got Tyree Kill and he almost was forced to do it and he had his best season ever before, you know, the Patrick Mahomes era started. So maybe, maybe having somebody like Henry Ruggs can make Derek Carr get out of his comfort zone a little bit and be more willing to push it down the field vertically. It is weird that they, you know, they, they pick a guy and again, that's not all he does, but good Lord, he does that well, um, that they pick, you know, they, they draft him there when your quarterback, like you said, is just Captain completely adverse to it. He's just like, no, it's where's so my tight end? Weird. There's got to be a running back somewhere. <laughs> like who is within five yards of the line of scrimmage? I need to get it to that guy. But Man, you got to think even him, he's just going to be like, oh, shit, he's like 15 yards wide open. Like, I have to throw it, right? Like, I don't have a choice. And if, yeah. I'll tell you what, if he doesn't, Gruden's going to replace his ass. So With Mariota, who is also well, reluctant to throw well, it. I'm playing in 2021, you know, it's not the last yeah. year of football. You know, schematically, like, you know, you think about, like, why these guys are choosing some of these guys that are a real – you know, incredible athletes and they're fast is because also one thing that when you have these hesitant quarterbacks is now you have guys that can legitimately create throwing windows with clarity. So now it's not even like something you have to think too hard about. In other words, there's going to be a more clear and distinct throwing window potentially just because these guys are going to be able to run, you know, kind of the track meet with the best and fastest corners in the league. And they're going to be able to create that separation and have a clearer window. So they're hoping like, hey, I can get this quarterback looking more deep to short if I can get a more consistent window for him to throw into. And so I think that by getting Rager or getting rugs, I think we can, you know, I think we can create those deep windows with clarity for these guys. So when they hit their back foot in rhythm, they're going to feel like they have all their momentum going into those deep throws and they're not even going to hesitate. It's either I throw it because it's there or I don't and I go short. And I think that's what they're hoping for because I think you're right. I don't think Carr fits that deep passing scheme bill. Um, Wentz does obviously, but I don't, I don't think Carr does, but I think that when you get that guy, that's really fast. You're hoping like that window is going to clear up. He doesn't have to think hard and now he's going to start looking deep to short. And that's what we want him to do. And Carr's got a really nice deep ball. Like he he can throw the deep ball. He's got a great arm. I honestly, like after his injury, I don't know if he's scared to. Like maybe the time in the pocket that it takes to actually throw a deep ball, maybe he's scared to get hurt again. And I mean, I don't know if the mascara or eyeliner is getting in his, in his eyes more to where he can't see down the field. But man, I, I really hope for Ruggs' sake and the Raiders' sake that Carr starts, you know, maybe he gets it tattooed on his eyes now finally and he doesn't have to worry about it running into his, <laughs> I got Shane going a little bit, but no, I, I, I think Carr's a, a fine quarterback. I throw him the ball deep and yeah, he better, he better start doing it soon. Otherwise Mariota is going to be in. Yeah, Almost for they, sure. They just gave him every weapon in the world you could think of. I mean, yeah. for literally every position they're like, look, we got the prototypical guy at every wide receiver position just for you. And you have a pass catching tight end. You better perform or you're out of here. That's what I hear. That's that when with these moves they made when they, you know, they added, uh, what's his face? Uh, geez, Brian, Edwards. Uh, Brian, Edwards, Brian Edwards. 
Yeah, you know, you're like, look, here, you got the ultimate weapon in Bowden. We'll do something fun with him. And then you got Edwards, who's going to be, you know, a great possession receiver. And then you got Ruggs. It's just take the top off or, you know, you can break one um, on a short short pass. So if he doesn't perform, catch the ball. Yeah. Yeah. If he doesn't perform, he's out of there. I got to hope Gruden seems like he's making decent, smart football moves. I can't imagine he tied the franchise to a quarterback that just refuses to, to, Try. I don't even know what to call it. Just throw it deep. You can do it. Like, I don't know. You got to have- take some rest. And I think yeah. that's the thing that this year exactly. is he's got to start showing that he's more willing to push the ball vertically down the field. I mean, listen, Matt and I, you know, growing up in New York, you know, Eli took a lot of slack. But one thing that you can never knock Eli for is his willingness to, you know, put it into tight windows. And sometimes it led to pick sixes going the other way. And sometimes it led to, you know, making fourth quarter comebacks and win Super Bowls. And and that was the roller coaster that Eli Manning was. And there's other quarterbacks that were even better than Eli, like Brett Favre's of the world, who were the same thing. And you got to try to push these, some of these guys to to do it. And I think this year Derek Carr is going to you know be put in that situation where it's make or break time now for him, like you said, with all the weapons they had. So, Tyler, back to you. Officially make your pick at 1.1 pen. What if I went a different route? How funny <laughs> would that be? <laughs> you know what? No, I, I'm going to go with Jefferson here. Shane, I can't believe you passed him up. But, no, Justin Jefferson is my 1A. And a lot like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who was my like running back four, the, the spot moved him up big time. And I know – a lot of people are sitting here like, well, you know, he's not going to get all Diggs targets. Well, why not? And Thielen was, you know, Thielen's, I think, on the decline. And Thielen is a perfect teacher to teach Jefferson what he doesn't know. And I think he's going to be a great teacher for that. Jefferson, I think, is already pro ready. He's a great route runner. He can play. He's played from the slot primarily in LSU. And, I mean, his contested catch rate was unreal. And it reminds me a lot of Diggs. I, I get Diggs and Thielen kind of moved around the position a lot, and they kind of switched, you know, plays of being in the slot. But I think Jefferson is going to be utilized as the one in this offense, and I, he's faster than Thielen, so he, they're gonna he's gonna he's gonna be going deep more. And Cousins is a great quarterback to do that. I just think Jefferson is going to produce right away. And I think it's going to be steady. And then he's going to, it's not going to be like the extreme spike that Lamb could have once Cooper leaves, but it's going to be a progression that's just, just steady. Like, I think he's going to have an AJ Brown style type, type year, probably more catches than, than, uh, than yards than AJ Brown had. Like maybe he's a thousand, but he'll be like 80 catches. It'll be short passes. But I mean, seven touchdowns isn't out of, out of this world for him and i think he, i think he has a chance to be the best receiver year one year two he'll probably still be progressing yardage wise i i just think he's safe and yet i think his ceiling is super high too he's he's i want to say the youngest receiver in this class so he he's still got room to grow yeah i love jefferson i love the landing spot i think minnesota is a perfect spot they have a lot of vacated targets with Diggs leaving Rudolph is on the decline. I get they have Irv Smith, but I think they have a different role for Irv. Ola B.C. Johnson, I'm not too worried about. So, yeah, I think Jefferson has a clear route to being the number one on that team and a quicker route to than Lamb or Judy or, well, I think Ruggs is already the one. But, yeah, 
and Rager's probably the one, but I, I think Jefferson's probably safer than Rager. Yeah, I mean, well. I, I think I think Jefferson probably has the best year one of any of the wide receivers in terms of target share, opportunity. I could see him leading uh, all rookie wide receivers in receptions and, and production. You know, my my question, you know, that I think I had when I made the pick, when they made the pick was, was I do think he could play outside and be productive. And I think he showed better athleticism at the combine than I think anybody expected. But I do think he's best inside in the slot. It's almost kind of like Juju Smith. He could play outside, but I think inside is where he's at his best. And I think the same thing with, with, uh, with Jefferson. So I do think, and I think that's where Adam Thielen's at his best. And especially as Adam Thielen continues to age, I think, you know, he definitively has to be on the inside. So I do wonder if they're in a little bit of a transition phase that over the next, you know, this year it was Stefan Diggs was shown the door and they got great value. You wonder that maybe in whether it's next off season or the year after, how long is Adam Thielen a part of the future there? That maybe, maybe in the next two years, we see a complete revamping of that offense because I do think, you know, he's best, you know, Jefferson in the slot as well. But then that's also where we're dealing that is best. I'm sure they'll be interchangeable like Diggs and him were as well. But that's the one thing that I think is kind of interesting to kind of see how that, but his skill set, skill set meshes very well with Kirk Cousins after we just had a whole conversation about Derek Carr's skill set not really translating well with Henry Ruggs I think what Cousins likes to do and he's another guy who doesn't push it down vertically too much but that kind of suits where Jefferson's going to make his living is in the short to intermediate range especially that intermediate range and that's where Cousins is at his best so I think fit wise it's it's arguably one of the best, you know, quarterback receiver fits uh, in this draft class. So I think, I think, I think, I, honestly, guys, I think the first ten guys that we just had, I think those should be the clear first ten picks of any rookie draft. That yeah. you know, that, that that's not super flex. You know, I, I have a hard time seeing anybody else sneaking in in, in that type of setting. So I, I could be wrong. Maybe someone's really high, but I think these are the consensus top ten guys that should come off the board in some particular order. So I'm kind of intrigued here by where Matt's going to go at 1.11, because I think this is now where recommendation for anybody in real drafts, I think the 1.11, the 1.12, the top of the second round, I think that's where you might want to try to make a trade back, go back a few spots, pick up an additional asset, because personally, I think the next five to seven is pretty similar in my board. Can, can I say that I think there's probably one more player? That okay. would slot into slot into the group. No, let's no, see if Matt. Let's if see if Matt yeah, picks them or see. I pick them. Matt? Yeah, no, I'm not. It's not going to be anyone that you guys know. I'm going to go out <laughs> on a limb. I'm going to take. I'm going to take Tua at the one eleven, and I'm going to go ahead and take a quarterback because I still think that like, and I know there's a lot of. I know why from a from a production standpoint, from a consistency standpoint. Maybe it's because maybe I'm kind of speaking to my own biases as a fantasy player. But it's a it's a it's just a warm kind of snuggly blanket, uh, a blue blanket, maybe dolphin blue um, to have a quarterback that is on my team. That's consistent. I hate worrying about my quarterback position. I just hate I hate in fantasy football to even have to think about my quarterback position so much so that I take kind of the Green Bay Packer kind of way. And I always draft one every (laughs) year. You know, that's why Jared Stidham was on my team. And, you know, like. I would take Tua here because I do think that, you know, I personally think 
Um, he's the most skillful quarterback. His production may not have been exactly the same as Joe Burrows. He did not win the Heisman, and I understand that. And Joe Burrows is no slight, you know, no slouch himself. Um, but I do think that you know Tua is an incredibly sensitive passer. I think he's great in terms of his anticipatory throws at all levels of the field. I think his ability to adapt to the NFL game, I think is going to be tremendously. I think people are looking at him and saying, well, the injury and that's a problem. You're right. You're right. I don't, I'm not saying there's no risk here. I'm saying though, that there is a risk and there is a reward. And I think that if you need a quarterback, I think this is the time where maybe you just put your chips on the table and take one here because you may be able to wait, but I, I don't know if you really want to wait for the players later after this. I think there's guys now to take, and I think maybe you put your chips on the table now if you have a guy like, let's say you have Kirk Cousins. you know, Let's say you have Kirk Cousins. Let's say you have Derek Carr. I mean, I'm sure that's not your starter, but, <laughs> what, if, but, what, if, but what, if you have, what if you have something to that effect where you're talking about QB you know, 12 through 15? You know, if you're talking about a QB 12 through 15, you know, maybe you were riding, you know, you were riding the highs and the lows of Jared Goff and you're just not sure anymore. And now you're like, ah. I think you go with two. I think you I think you ride the bandwagon, enjoy the season. It's a fun pick. And I think he's an incredibly talented and skillful player. I'll never forget watching him in his first spring game at a high school. And I remember texting Paul feverishly. I was like, Man, this guy is just making it look fun, throwing like fades and corners to the back of the end zone with incredible touch down the sideline. It was his freshman year. I'll I'll never forget the first spring game. And to see him come in in the national championship game and do exactly what I saw him do in the spring, there was just a sense of like, just, just a sense of like, you know, like just absolute joy of football watching him play. And everything I ever watch about him, I know this is not supposed to go into the pick, it's not a technical thing. But he seems like he enjoys the game too. So like that's just fun for me. So I think this is the time in my draft that I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to forego rational thought, probably not the player that you're going to go with, not the positional group you want to go with. But I think in this particular year, grab him if you need him. So I, I want to piggyback off you with the single quarterback thing and not having a quarterback. I lost because I didn't have a quarterback. I lost a chance to win three straight in a home league, and Aaron Rodgers crapped the bed for me. All, I had McCaffrey. All my players lit it up. I I should have won by 30, but Rodgers screwed me, and quarterbacks can win and lose you weeks, and it is the worst feeling when you don't have a stable like top-five quarterback. If you don't have a Lamar Jackson or a Mahomes, and you're going against him, it is the worst feeling in the world, and I don't care if it's super flexible single quarterback. I love your strategy, and I I tried to trade up in a home league, the league where I had Baker as my starter. Like I I don't want to go into the season like that, so I tried to trade up. I couldn't, so I took the next quarterback that I that not Burrow, not Tua. I took the the third quarterback in this year's draft because I also think he's a great option. Just because if you can hit on one of those guys in there, top you know, seven to 10 type player first year, and then they can grow. Like, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, And and I don't mean to, I don't mean to go crazy with this and I won't belabor this point, but let's just say right now, everybody's team. Is there any question that all of us are going to be like, like last year, it was like the same thing, Paul. Remember we were doing very similar things and I took uh, Kyler Murray 
uh, in the top five and people, people are looking at me side sideways. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know. I just, again, I'm, I'm very much that quarterback driven fantasy player. I want a guy that I don't have to worry about. Let me tell you something. I'm going to go out on a limb right now and tell you that if Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence come out, I'm going to tell you single quarterback, double quarterback, you're going to be <laughs> hard pressed to not consider them among your top five or eight players next year. And I know there's amazing, amazing players in that draft, but to have a Trevor Lawrence that you think you can lock and load like a, like, you know, an Andrew Luck style player for like 10 years on your fantasy or dynasty team. That's just sweating over here thinking about it. That makes you go to sleep, man. Nicely. And uh, listen, I'm not, maybe that's just my style. That's all I'm saying. No, when you're talking about Tua, like Trevor Lawrence, when I watch him play, I get excited. Like I have fun watching him. Play. Oh God. I love Trevor Lawrence more than I love my pets. Like <laughs> <laughs> I can't say my kids because I'd probably get ruined for it. But I mean, I'm sorry. I, um, I just tweeted out that you love um, Trevor Lawrence more than your children. So, <laughs> Well, today, okay. yes, they were, right. they were little devils <laughs> today. So yeah, I mean, pick and choose a day. I mean, I, I do, I do think, you know, Matt, I don't think it's a crazy thought. I, I personally, again, I'm, I'm, I'm very eagerly awaiting either me or Shane to pick Tyler's guy that he thinks belongs with that initial top 10, or he gets to pick that guy and get him at a little bit of a value here coming up. But I, I do think that after those 10 that came off the board, I, I understand the rationalization of a quarterback. I I probably would have waited a, another few picks before I personally made it in, in this type of setting. you know. But in settings where you already have a roster. See, it's very easy to do a rookie mock draft mm-hmm. when you don't have a roster already predetermined that you're picking for. So when, when you start having a roster, and like you just said, and like Tyler just said, yeah, I understand what all the analytics say. The, the the replacement value is very marginal. But when you're actually you're living and dying on Sundays with your fantasy football team, it just seems like the top guys at the top quarterbacks win a lot more than the, the ones that are, are playing the, you know, every week picking a new guy up off waivers or trying to guess between two because part of fantasy football and the enjoyment of fantasy football is, you know, like, you know, and even you hear a lot of the analysts sometimes say it is like, don't just go by rankings that you see on a, on a website. You got to go with the rankings that, that, that you can wake up, Monday morning and not be pissed off and annoyed that you didn't make that decision. And when you have two quarterbacks, you're wrestling with that decision every Uh single time you have to set your lineup. So there's something about having one of those guys that you're just like, no, he's my quarterback. I'm not benching him. I'm not looking at matchups. I'm not looking at anything like that. And if you don't have one of those guys, I think I do think sometimes it's worth after the top running backs and receivers come off the board to take your shot. I was right there with you on Kyler Murray last year, Matt. I was right there the year before on Lamar Jackson. I didn't need Lamar Jackson in one of our leagues. I took him the year before. I, so I didn't need Patrick Mahomes. I, I was so pissed. I hated you so much that <laughs> I remember that moment, man. Like it was. I'm sitting there at that pick, and I'm like, huh, you know, maybe you know, I have a couple more picks a little bit later. Maybe Paul doesn't really need a quarterback. You know, I'm going to take Lamar. Yeah, I told him. I told him that time. I'm taking Lamar. I'm taking Lamar. Of course, I said, you know what? I'll wait a pick or two, and he takes Lamar. So, so going See, back, going no, back to talk, that, my turn, no, Ginger. No, listen, this, this correlates so with his monster. story. Listen, this correlates with his story. Come on, if it doesn't, I swear to God, God. <laughs> so, so going back to telling your friends who you want to take and then them taking them, 
in a home league, I saw the most savage thing happen. <laughs> so a team did not have another pick. And he's cousins with my best friend who's who's coming up. And he's like, hey, man, do you like T. Higgins? And I'm like, yeah, I, lo- I love T. Higgins. He, he's a good player. And it was like 206. I'm like, this is a huge value. And I've been trying to trade up for him. He's like, okay, I'm going to take him. And then he goes, yeah, I've been telling my cousin that I'm going to take Higgins. And he's like, okay. His cousin traded up a spot ahead of him to take T. Higgins. <laughs> he told his cousin about the pick because he had no picks. So he took his future draft capital to trade up in front of him to take T. Higgins. How? Well, he told him. Uh, that's what I said. I'm like, dude, you can't trust family in rookie drafts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't have a good story. Thanks, Tyler. Um, appreciate that. I was just going to piggyback off your piggybacking. Um, so whatever you would call that. I'm a one-upper, so. One-upper. Yeah, I don't have any uppers. Um, I got no no problem with drafting, overdrafting a, a quarterback if you think he's that guy. Because I'm with you with Kyler. Like, I've made trades in one quarterback leagues where I, I know I've overpaid for him. Because you just can't – there's certain areas that it's really hard to, to – get a scoring differential if you can get a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes Lamar Jackson what we think Kyler I guess we're all on that same boat we all think Kyler is going to be and if you think Tua is going to be the same type of guy that's going to give you like a 10 to 15 point edge on other quarterbacks that you're playing I you know it's hard to criticize that because or maybe just not get a 10 to 15 point loss you know like like just competent play you know yeah, I traded a 2021 first for Lamar Jackson in a rookie draft this year, and I was ecstatic about it. Like, give me that all day. And I, I kind of got looked at crazy, like, why are you giving up a first for a quarterback? And I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, he's not just a quarterback. He's a yeah. running back, duh. Yeah, I mean, that, and a that, wide sounds receiver. Like a no, that sounds like a no-brainer. <laughs> uh let me let me close out round one here, and I'm the player that uh, Tyler has talked about here a little bit in his story. He would be the pick here for me at one point uh, twelve, and that's T. Higgins. T. Higgins was number four on my board before the NFL draft. Uh, obviously, he wasn't a first round selection, but he's kicked off round two. And while I, well, someone might look at his situation right now and and see it overcrowded. I think that's going to clear up real quick, real fast. I think AJ Green's playing one more year in Cincinnati, and then he's gone. I they today they did not pick up the fifth year option of John Ross. Not a big surprise with how little he's produced. So I don't think John Ross is going to be there. I wouldn't even be surprised if John Ross gets traded between now and the start of the NFL season. Uh, I don't think Auden Tate is a thing. Some people do. I I don't. Uh, so I do think that within a year from now. T. Higgins is legitimately could be their number one wide receiver. Tyler Boyd is way more suited to be a number two or number three wide receiver inside in the slot. So I'm picking T. Higgins because I know the big, not as athletic wide receivers have have been questionable lately. Everyone falls back on Laquan Treadwell, but my argument to that is for Laquan Treadwell, there is a you know, Kenny Galladay, or there's, you know, I had more names last time, I forget. But there's other guys that have came into the league that have been 455, 458, 40 times, you know, and win at the catch point. Alshon Jeffries had a really good career, even though he's not the same player he once used to be. But he's had a really good career winning at the catch point. Oh, Allen Robinson was the other guy. Not a yeah. not a burner. Another guy who was in the mid-4-5s, you know, or 458 or 459. 
I see no reason why T. Higgins can't be somewhere in the Allen Robinson, you know, Kenny Galladay spectrum. He's not Calvin Johnson. He's not A.J. Green. I know that that comparison was being thrown around for a while, but he didn't have the athletic capabilities of an A.J. Green. A.J. Green was on a freakish level, that whole package. But I do think his skill set at the catch point, his ability to win contested situations, I think is something that is going to translate. And I'm a huge believer in Joe Burrow. We're talking about quarterback play. He's now basically attached himself to Joe Burrow for what I think is going to be 10 years of football, you know, if T. Higgins stays in Cincinnati for that long. You know, so I'm I'm buying into that. I think there's a variety of other ways that I could have went. I think, like I said, I think there's four or five, six other wide receivers that I don't, I wouldn't really raise an eyebrow if, if they were to pick here. But Higgins would be my personal favorite from that next group of tier of wide receivers. So he would be the pick uh, for me. So round one, real quick Clyde Edwards Hilaire, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, C.D. Lamb, Cam Akers, Jalen Rager, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs. Justin Jefferson, Tua, and then T. Higgins to round it out. Any thoughts on the T. Higgins? Uh, no, I I still think uh, there's been uh, – I've kind of suggested that the team went to Burrow and said, hey, is there anybody that you want us to pick? And my guess is Burrow during that national championship game was like, yeah, there's a player who wore the jersey number five on Clemson that I really want on my team. <laughs> he's probably like they he destroyed us can we get him on our team yeah so, i mean yeah, look, i think i, I, think, yeah. I, well, I, I think, think i think the type of player that burrow is suits with t higgins because t higgins yeah. let's be honest t higgins is not going to be a guy who's going to create a lot of separation in his routes that's not his game but joe burrow is, is is a guy who doesn't need a lot of separation from his receivers i think he's got the arm talent and the capabilities to put it in and he's willing to going back to that willingness that we were talking about before i think burrow has the willingness to do it and he will put it up for him so so i i'm i'm betting a little bit there on I like the player pre-draft. He's got a decent draft capital, and he's also attached to a quarterback that I think is going to translate and be a good quarterback at the next level. And that was a little bit here my tiebreaker with with the next group of wide receivers, and I'm sure a bunch of them are going to come off the board uh, quickly here. So, Shane, let me take this to you. Round two, guys, we've already went over an hour and 10 minutes. We're going to go rapid fire, 12 picks, 12 minutes, basically, one minute a pick through round two. Shane, kick it off, 2.01. Uh, I got to take myself off on mute. Uh, I got all nervous because you're making me speed through this real quick. T Higgins, I was worried about him too, but Cincinnati drafted him. Uh, the very first pick of the second round showed that there was nothing to worry about. I'm going to go with Denzel Mims. Um, guy's going to be an absolute monster for the Jets. Um He's right outside of the first round for me. I could see him slipping into the first round, to be honest with you. I probably would have taken him over Higgins. Go. Tyler, did we say your guy yet? Nope. And I'm going to. It's going to be Keyshawn Vaughn, who landed in Tampa Bay. Perfect situation. I think Vaughn is going to be a Devin Singletary-esque type running back in this class. I think I like Rojo, but, man, I think Vaughn is going to overtake him, and, and he's going to do very well behind that new newly built offensive line and pretty much offense. So Keyshawn Vaughn at 202. 
Interesting pick there. I've, I've got on record to say I, I have some reservations about it. I think he's going to go a little bit higher than my liking. I don't envision a scenario where I get him in too many. But if they completely have soured on Ronald Jones, I think then we could see a short window where Keyshawn Vaughn could be very good. My fear would be almost like you I, – I like that you brought up Devin Singletary. My fear would almost be that next year do they try to get someone else then as good or better – to either supplant Keyshawn Vaughn, and that would be where I'd be a little bit hesitant. But but the the landing spot is, is you know it's not argumentative. It, it's ideal uh, based on what they have around them. Matt, two point oh three. Yeah, I mean, I want to go with rationality, and I want to go with my heart, but I think I'm going to probably choose rationality here at this pick, and I'm going to go with Michael Pittman here at Indianapolis. And I'm going to go with Michael Pittman here because I think that he went to a perfect situation where he has the opportunity to be shepherded by a veteran quarterback. And he also is flanked by a veteran wide receiver. So I think he's his acclimation to the league is going to be a little bit more shepherd as opposed to just kind of figuring it out as you go. Um, he had a very turbulent college history. And I don't think we should forget how many injuries he kind of withstood and just how crazy USC was during his time there. So there's a player who I think that the sky's the limit for. So I'm going to take it there. And Paul, up to you. 2.04, I'm going to take the last first round wide receiver, and that's Brandon Ayuk, uh, who is headed to San Francisco. I think he fits the Shanahan system perfectly. I know there is some redundancy with, between him and Debo Samuel, but I think that, I think Kyle Shanahan, I think that's intentional. I think he wants his wide receivers to be versatile and interchangeable. I think Brandon Ayuk is the best, uh, after the catch. And I think that's where Kyle Shanahan is going to utilize him. I do think him and Debo in that offense is that after with George Kittle, they could hurt each other's value a little bit, but I do think Ayuk could eventually become that wide receiver three, but maybe, you know, push to the upper level of the wide receiver three. Shane, 2.05 to you. I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because he's one of my favorite wide receivers in the class. I'm going to take Brian Edwards here. Um, I still think he's going to be the Raiders. Ultimately, he's going to be that wide receiver one there. Um, he's going to be a guy that Derek Carr is going to like. He's going to be open. He's not going to be too far down the field, so it's not super scary. And he's just going to get open a lot. He's just a bully. He's physical. He's strong. He's more athletic than people give him credit for. Just There's nothing not to like about the kid except he had some bad – luck with breaking his foot before the combine i know He's matt i know matt was probably uh itching at the bit to uh select his favorite there brian edwards i'm sure he was thinking about him instead of michael Pittman jr so here at saturday sunday we are fully on the brian edwards uh bandwagon as i had well. him i had him conspicuously high in the preseason <laughs> and during the season as my wide receiver three that's how high i am on him nah. so i think he, he could play he could play so i love that pick tyler 2.06 I'm going to go with a quarterback. I'm going to go Joe Burrow. Uh, you can rewind and re-listen to why quarterback should be going in single quarterback leagues highly as well. And uh, I'll just keep it with that. Absolutely, Matt. Before took two at 1.11. Obviously, him and Burrow pretty close in terms of their fantasy value. So I think this is really good value for Burrow uh, midway through the second round here. Matt, 2.07. I'm going to go ahead and go back to the running back position. I'm going to take a player whose role is still being carved out. But like we said, there's no player in the snow that you'd rather have than A.J. Dillon. So I'm going to go ahead and take A.J. Dillon here at his position and see how that goes (laughs) in Green Bay. 
I mean, I think the AJ Dillon thing, I think the interesting thing about AJ Dillon is does that speak volumes on maybe them not willing to give Aaron Jones another contract? And, you know, we've seen, we've seen teams start to make that decision. I mean, we've seen the Jaguars with Leonard Fournette. I don't think he's going to be back. We've seen the Rams move on from Todd Gurley. It seems like more and more teams, especially teams if they're analytical based, are starting to see the devalue of running backs in that second contract. Is that why they made the investment in A.J. Dillon? Because I like A.J. Dillon, the running back, but I like them as a fourth-round pick as a compliment to somebody. So and you know what, Paul? I don't mean to say this. I would actually say if, like, if we were doing this live and I could edit it and go back, there was one player that I overlooked in my own rankings that I would have taken. So I'm okay. curious to see if he goes next. And yeah. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off what you're saying to, to Paul is uh, – I think if a running back that isn't elite, like a McCaffrey or a Zeke, if you're not elite, you're either taking less than 10 million a year or you're not getting re-signed with your team. I think that's going to be the stipulation of what running backs are going to get now. It's it's either you take what we give you or you're going to have a hard time in free agency because they're just going to keep coming in. I know the college landscape right now isn't amazing like it has been, but I do think there'll be people that come up here and there like Zamir White who will probably destroy college next year or whenever we have college football. But uh, I mean, I, I just think the running back landscape now and, and the NFL, there's there's a load of them. And it's just like, okay, if you don't want to take what we're going to, we're willing to give you for three, four years, then that's fine with us. We'll, we'll find somebody else. What's going to happen? What's going to happen is we're going to be, we're going to all be caught off guard one time when a team decides that this is going to be their, I'm not saying it's going to be this player, but some, something's going to happen one day where we're going to wake up one morning or we're going to get a tweet alert from Adam Schefter. And it's going to be like Alvin Kamara has been traded. A team's going to like a team with a running back who's at the top of the game is going to, is going to say, we're going to trade this guy now at his peak value. And we're, because we know that we're just going to recycle these guys. Obviously it's not Christian McCaffrey. He just signed the giants invested in Dave Gettleman personally invested too much that they're not going to do that with Saquon Barkley, but sooner rather than later, whether it's the next two years, five years, 10 years, there's going to be an elite level running back where a team's going to trade him out of the blue because they're going to look at it and say, we've already made a decision. We're not giving him a second contract. And to go on your point, look at the money Melvin Gordon passed up from the Chargers. Oh, yeah. He lost, I mean, listen, he, he he actually got a decent contract for two years from the Broncos. I think it was like 12 or 13 main guaranteed. But I mean, he was passing up. The rumors were like 10 for, the, the rumors were like three for 30. And he wanted more than that. I, again, we don't know what was the guarantee in that. But I think you're right. Unless you are a really unique player and really impact the pass game. I do think it's going to be, you better just take what they're, what you're offered or you're going to, you're going to sit there in the free agent market and your team's just going to move on without you. And I, yeah. I do wonder if the AJ Dillon pick was them already making a decision that they're not going to re-sign Aaron Jones for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, Aaron Jones and Dillon, fit perfectly together though. Cause yes. Jones is a phenomenal Agreed. pass catcher. And if, you know, maybe they approach Jones and they're like, Hey, you take eight mil a year. We'll give you four years, eight mil. You become our more third down back, like a Dion Lewis type role when Dion Lewis was actually good. And Dylan will be our Henry in the Tennessee style offense. And I mean, we preserve you more, you last longer and you get paid. Well, while you last longer. I mean, that could be the option green Bay goes, 
either way, I just hope Green Bay falls on their face because it's Green Bay. <laughs> I want to see yeah. who's going to take the guy I should have taken. That's what I'm excited to see. Who are you going with, Paul? I'm going. I'm going to me. I have. I what pick is this overall? Twelve. This is two oh eight. This is two. This is two oh eight. So I, I, the, there's one guy left that to me yeah. need should have been taken, uh, and that's Lavisca Chenault. Yeah. So Lavisca Chenault, exactly. I think you know the the poor combine when he he was injured ran. Uh, you know, to me, Lavisca Chenault is this is why I said it. I went going back to T Higgins. T. Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr., Brandon Ayuk, uh, LaVisca Chenault, Denzel Mims. I don't see much difference between any of those guys. I personally no. nope. would pick all of them before I went to the, the sixth running back because I'm just not a believer that Keyshawn Vaughn's going to be you know, the long-term guy there. But those wide receivers that I just all talked about, I think they're all very interchangeable, and I'd be okay – would anybody making an argument of why any of them should have been the pick at 1.12 for me? And I think it could be a very strong, solid argument. So, so Paul, if, if we were switched, if you and I were flip-flop, not to ruin anybody else's pick, but let's assume that we go back, edit it, make me sound better because that's who I wanted to take. <laughs> and if we switched it up, who would you be on the hook for? You, you don't have to pick a specific guy. You could say a range of guys if you wanted to, but just out of curiosity. I would, have took I would have took Dylan. I would have took Dylan. So we would have ended okay. up in the same spot. Dylan's my next guy on my board uh, overall. Okay. So I would I would have taken Dylan. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, I like Chenault. I think he needs to be utilized very much like San Francisco used Debo Samuel. Early in his career, he needs to be jet sweeps, end arounds, touch passes, screen passes, quick slants. Get him the ball. Get him in space. Let him use that physicality and athleticism after the catch to be a monster, and then let him continue to round out and refine his and, his his running cap his receiving capabilities. Because to me, that's the kind of player he's got to be. And Matt, I know you were having a great conversation with yes. our friend Ray Garvin about the type of position that now the LaVisca Chenault to the world, the Antonio Gibsons, the Lynn Bowdens, you know, if you just want to real quick, yeah, just like mention what you were 30 saying. Second, like we were talking about it on the last show and, and Ray and I just happened to go back and forth the the slot back or the, you know, the, the jet back we've had uh, names for him. Um, yeah. It's it 32nd kind of idea is, is that yes, I think these hybrid players, these LaVisca Chenaults, their role, their idea of being utility players are maybe coming into the purview as we become more spread offenses and being up tempo. Now, all of a sudden, as you add those two constraints being spread, being up tempo, now the utilization of maybe having a player that was a wide receiver, Lynn Bowden slash running back Antonio Gibson slash LaVisca Chenault. Now you can kind of insulate yourself from drafting only a wide receiver or only a running back by getting one of these guys and now using them in both of those roles and maybe save yourself a little bit of roster kind of flexibility. And now you have the opportunity to maybe carve out a role. And I think to your point, Paul, you said it, Debo Samuel last year, what Kyle Shanahan's doing with that, why they took Ayuk. I think it's, I think the writing's on the wall. I think, I think we're not going to see the scat back anymore. I think we could be seeing the emergence of a different player, a player that could be this guy. So it's just a thought. It's a brainstorm. They call it the Taysom Hill position. 
Oh, stop yeah. that. Stop that. <laughs> right now. Hey, should we call it the Jalen Hurts position? Jesus, if I oh. have to hear about that. No, but yeah, right matter, right? And I really like that that evolution. Like I don't know what they're gonna call that position, if they'll ever get around to naming it. I just, just did. The taste of hell. No, no, because this is actually a useful and effective the TH. Um, position. Not a player that was good one game in his career and all of a sudden he, he's redefined football, apparently. Whoa, the dude's making 16 mil. I mean, look, Chase Daniels was once signed to a $21 million contract with the Eagles. I'm just saying, shit happens. Stuff happens. Stuff. Jameis Winston somehow <laughs> only signed for a million dollars. I mean, is there, is know, there a more right? underpaid player right. in football than Jameis Winston? Like, I don't understand how Jason Hill's getting changed. 16 million. The most backup quarterbacks are getting like seven, and and Jameis Winston signed for one million dollars. The crazy Nobody thing is, Jameis, the Jameis has changed his whole health. Like, he looks super healthy. He looks yeah. in shape. He is crazy in shape. I would not be shocked if he becomes like an outstanding player for the Saints and they re-sign him next year after Breeze leaves and oh, he becomes their gonna, starter. I think he's going to be their starting quarterback after Breeze. Oh my God. And he's going to be so good for them. Every like, I have him in multiple dynasty leagues and people are like making low ball offers. And I said, no, I'm not training Jameis Winston this year because his value is in the, is in the, in the, in the yeah. better right now. You can't trade Jameis Winston. You just got to, yeah. you got to eat the roster spot for a whole year and you just got to suck it up and you got to wait for him to get an opportunity to start. It's going to happen again. The NFL needs quarterbacks like yeah. Jameis Winston. Yes. The interceptions are atrocious, but he's, he's still got the skill set to be a starter in this league. He's going to get another chance. And if he hits the jackpot, and 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 you know Sean Payton likes him, and yeah. Drew Brees retires, and they decide he's the next starter there. Well, then you're sitting back on a top five or top seven quarterback in fantasy next year. So I mean, what what how, what if they go into next year? They pay Jameis what eighteen mil a year, and they give him like a four year contract. That is a huge cap saver compared to what they're paying Brees right now. They're going to be able to get better players around him too. Oh God! As they're a Falcons gonna, fan, I have been waiting for the Saints to suck again, and this whole their Jameis thing has just been warping my mind. Just like, oh, Sean Payton, I hate you so much. <laughs> but Tyler, they're never going to be able to do that because they've been kicking the can down the road in the incorrect way with Breeze's contract, which is why when they draft, they they only want to draft five players and they only want to draft win now guys because they his contract's still going to be on their books probably two to three years after he retired. Yeah. The way Tom Brady style. It. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Brady style. Shane, so. you're up at 2.09 and I saw in the chat who the pick was and I'm excited because I do think, I do think we're in the portion now of the draft where there is a lot of names that are in the mix and in the discussion. And the guy you're about to pick is one of Matt and I's favorites. Yeah, I'm just, you know, at this point in the draft, I'm looking for running backs that are drafted into those situations where there's a easy and uh, believable path to a starting job. And if Anthony McFarlane isn't the guy that has the easiest or more most realistic path to one, I, I don't know who it is because I love James Conner, love his story. His body doesn't love playing football. Um, so he's going to miss time. Benny Snell is trash. He is the human embodiment of football trash, not as a person. And I don't even remember who else is on the roster. Really, Jalen Samuel. Oh, yeah. They tried that. The TH, and the Taysom can't. Hill extraordinaire yeah. position. For they them. also have Kareth White, um, who I picked up at one point last year and still owned. I, the only reason I know that, I just dropped him. But, yeah, I just think McFarland, if he wasn't injured last year, 
the entirety of the year, just about. He'd be a first-round rookie pick for us. He would have gotten drafted earlier. As it is, he still had, what, fourth-round draft capital. So he's right outside of that range you really want, you know, day day one or day two. But even with this draft class, you know, the fact that he still got drafted in the fourth round with all these wide receivers, I think it shows that the Steelers do like him. And the Steelers don't sign running backs to second contracts, just like Green Bay. They don't believe in it. It's a philosophical no-no form. I think he gets in there, and by week five, he's getting some run. And if, as soon as Connor's, Connor gets hurt, he's going to take the job over. And the dude's just a lightning bug. I mean, I just love him. There's nothing not to like about him. I mean, yeah, everybody he, was on him two years ago. He got injured, and then everybody was like, he's not that good anymore. He's running on one foot. I mean, that's what yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah he's I mean, I funnest, think oh, – Oh, he's one of the funnest tapes I've seen in running backs this year. He was super fun to watch. Pretty much my my one word for him was, was bursty. <laughs> he, he's super bursty. Love it. And I, it's funny because – I think the reason why I'm so low on the the incoming other running back that's that went to Buffalo, I'm not going to say his name in case you guys pick him, I'm not, is I think it ruined the tape for me because I watched McFarland. Then I went to him, and I'm like, oh, man, he's just slow, and he doesn't have agility. And, and I think the fact that I watched McFarland first ruined it for me because, yeah, McFarland, he was one of my favorite running backs. He was a higher – higher scoring running back on our, on our scale at DHH that, that my co-host Tim made. I, I didn't go all the way because I just like to watch tape. I don't like to have to sit there and judge people. So I'll just sit there and watch tape, but no McFarlane was ranked super high for me in all explosive qualities. I mean, if he's healthy, he's going to destroy in this offense. Yeah. I mean, I loved him. I think he was number seven, he was number seven pre-draft for me. So he was ahead of the Zach Mosses, the Keyshawn Vaughns, you know, the Eno Benjamins, the Joshua Kellys, Michael P. Ryans. Like it was only the big five and then Darrington Evans were the only guys. And I actually, I think I had McFarland ahead of Darrington Evans. So he was, McFarland was either six or seven pre-draft for me. Uh, so I, I, if you go back and watch his 2018 film, he looks like a, a top 50 pick. So this year he battled an injury all year. I'm glad he still has some draft capital attached to him. I could see him, you know, really becoming a part of that offense there. Listen, even if James Conner leaves, do I think Anthony McFarland's going to become a 60, 70% guy? No, but he could, he might be fine and he might be fantasy viable if he gets a 50, 50 time share. He's got that big play capabilities. He doesn't need 12, 12 touches a game, 13 touches a game. He could be a viable starting fantasy running back as an RB2, RB3. If that's what's in the pike down the line for him, if they move on from James Conner or James Connor gets injured. So I like the pick. Tyler, uh, last pick of the night here at what is this? 2.10 for you. 210. I'm going to take Antonio Gibson, who now is a running back on MFL, which a lot of us probably play on. But uh, Antonio Gibson, it, when you hear Ron Rivera talk about him, how he's got the qualities of uh, Christian McCaffrey, he's not saying he's Christian McCaffrey. He's saying he's got the athletic ability to, to kind of play the similar role in that offense. That running back group is either old, hurt, or just not good. So I think it's wide open, and Gibson can actually come out ahead at the end of the year and and be a steal in the late second round for for you dynasty drafters. 
And let's be honest, besides Terry McLaurin, and like we don't know about Darius Geis and, and his, his injury, you know, they don't really have playmakers besides Terry McLaurin. So I think going back to what Matt said before about the new, like that new position, that new hybrid position, I think Gibson, he, he's going to be, <laughs> he's going to be, he's going to be utilized all over the field. So, I mean, Gibson could theoretically be a guy that sees even this year six to eight rushes and three to four catches a game. If, if Antonio Gibson's getting 10 touches a week, he's being undervalued even right now in dynasty rookie drafts. And he's going to be even undervalued in, you know, in redraft leagues, because if he's getting those three to four catches a game, and then he's getting like six to eight touches and by touches, I don't know if they'd be traditional handoffs. They could be lots of different things. Yeah. I think he can make an impact on those because of his explosiveness. So I, I like the player. I like the pick. I was just looking at my rankings. I think I got to make a move. And uh, and bump up him a few uh, a few spots uh, from where I have him. I have him, I think, in my top twenty four. But I think uh, towards the back end of it, and I think I have to even move him up a couple after talking about him here tonight. Matt, two point eleven. Yeah, I think you either you either pick your favorite or pick a good story. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pick a good story over a player that I might take. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take Devin Duvernay. And I'm going to go on a limb with Devin Duvernay because of the Baltimore situation. I, I still believe Devin Duvernay falls within the same stratosphere as the Lynn Bowden's Antonio Gibson's, as well as all those players. And only I think he's a better player than all those guys. So I think Devin Duvernay is a fantastic, fantastic player. Um, he can not only stretch the field vertically, but he can also be um, that player that can win from behind the line of scrimmage as a running back style player. It's not his natural position. He doesn't have the experience or the reps, um, but that's something he can develop over the course of the next couple of years. And and Baltimore has no real third, you know, no real slot player. They don't really have a great slot. Who's the third wide receiver? They don't really have it. I think J.K. Dobbins. Speed. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> right. And that's, and you know what, listen, you know what? And that's where I think like, you know, we were talking about JK Dobbins earlier. I think I see a future where it's Devin Duvernay and JK Dobbins, where that's the duo that's handling the backfield movement of the ball, where they're going to be using those players in tandem. And I think the Mark Ingram dissolves because now your quarterback's able to stretch the field uh, horizontally as a runner as well. And now you don't really need that kind of pounding back except for goal line opportunities. And I don't, I don't think that I don't think J.K. Dobbins can't handle that. To be honest with you, I think he's just slippery enough between the tackles, where he's sensitive enough to find those rooms in those areas where he could be effective. So I'm, I'm going to go out there and go with a good story if it hits. Um, I think there's a, the the players that we were talking about could have easily been picked here. I'm going to go out on a limb and just make a fun pick when Devin Duvernay. Yeah, I mean, listen, Matt, you know my thoughts on Devin Duvernay. I like the player. You know, I, I watch him play, and, and I think you could see some DJ Moore in his game and the versatility to do a lot of different things. And then you put him in that Baltimore offense. And, again, we don't really know how many wide receivers Baltimore and Lamar Jackson could actually satisfy for fantasy. But but if you think about it, they might not look at Miles Boykin as, as a long-term fixture, as a starter there. It could be a scenario where – Duvernay, Marquise Brown, J.K. Dobbins, and then two tight ends like are are yeah. the focal point of that offense. Don't it's don't not you feel crazy like Paul, to think that Paul? Don't you feel like everybody's and it's ironic because he's actually trying to get back in the league? Don't you think everybody just wants Percy Harvin? Yeah. Don't you get the yeah. feeling that everybody really just wants Percy Harvin now? Like yeah, they're, they're ready for him. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, and and then I don't know if you guys heard a wild rumor today that there was some rumors a little bit about Antonio Brown in Baltimore. I don't know if that has any legs. I think he's still got to get permission <laughs> to even come back into the NFL. Let's but, give uh, that dream up. Let's give that dream up. He just keeps floating that out himself. Like he's yeah. just – I think he's going city to city and he's just like, all right, well, that didn't work. Let's let's try <laughs> Baltimore. <laughs> Uh, let me let me finish off this this uh, two round uh, rookie mock draft. I'm going to select wide receiver KJ Hamler uh, of the Denver Broncos. Again, the landing spot, what they have there, leaves a little bit to be desired because how many weapons can one offense have that's not named the Chiefs? Uh, you know, and and appease all those guys. But again. Going back to what Shane said before, we don't really know what the future holds with certain guys. You know, we don't know how things play out. We don't know the the development and progression. All I know is that if KJ Hamler was healthy in the pre-draft process and people saw him burn a four two seven or four two eight, you know, like you know, like Henry Ruggs, the buzz surrounding him would be very different right now. You know, I, I've gone on record as saying, listen, KJ Hamler, he could he the spectrum for him is wide. It could be he's like Marquise Goodwin or, you know, Taylor Gabriel, and then he's not going to have much fantasy value. You know, but but what if he, you know, what if he's somewhere along the path of a Deshaun Jackson or a Will Fuller with that speed? And, you know, I won't bring up Tyree Kill because not every fast guy could be Tyree Kill. But you understand that type of player and the, the speed component and the big playability he has and and going on what Matt said. What if, what if Denver took him and – envisions a scenario where they just do a lot of crazy stuff with him also as Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are at the intermediate and and vertical parts of the field. And then they're doing all this different stuff with KJ Hamler underneath and letting him use that speed. And then other times let him take a shot vertically because obviously he can do that really well too. I like the talent a lot. So I I think here at the end of the second round, I think it's pretty good value. So I'll I'll round it out uh, with KJ Hamler. Real quick around the room, Shane, one or two names surprise uh, surprise you that didn't get taken? Uh, it looks like we didn't draft Lynn Bowden Jr. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I would definitely draft him. He's a guy I keep grabbing everywhere because, again, he's that, all right, I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to have four receptions a game and eight carries, or he's going to have eight receptions and three, you know, three rushing attempts, but they're going to get him the ball some way. They, they, you know, so that's a guy I really like. Um uh- Anybody else? No, I, I well, one player that I probably would have taken here when I said I would go with my my gut, and this goes back to our quarterback discussion earlier. I, I probably would consider Jordan Love here, and I know that's crazy, but I I like Jordan Love a lot, and I would be willing to stash him because again, I'd just be willing to hold on to a quarterback for three years because I'm crazy like that. So <laughs> I'd burn a back end bench spot for it. Tyler, anybody surprised that didn't come off the board that you thought might have snuck in there at the back of round two? I mean, I mean, he's talking about love. I'm thinking Herbert because I think Herbert is very close to Tua. I know you like Tua over Burrow apparently, but I think Tua and Herbert on a fantasy scale are very close. And the other one I would probably – God, I just – oh, Chase Claypool I think has tremendous upside. And I'm going to give you one sentence that explains it. Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver that was drafted by them. Like that's all you pretty much have to say with a wide receiver going to Pittsburgh is they drafted him. They have like a hit rate of 130%. So uh yeah. And yeah, I, I Marcus I'm a Notre Dame. Marcus Wheaton wanted to say hi, by the way. I, I still <laughs> I still think with that incorporated it's still 130%. <laughs> 
but no, I he's a Notre Dame guy too, and I fall head over heels. And DJ Dallas is a high riser for me too, who yeah. I I liked a lot. Miami, he showed explosive plays, kind of like an Antonio Gibson, and him in Seattle, he just seems like a Seattle running back, hard nosed, great great pass blocker, can catch pass out of the backfield. I mean, if if Carson can't stay healthy and Penny can't stay healthy, he's going to take over the backfield yeah. and not even look. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you brought up a couple of those guys there. Cycling back to Claypool for a second, there was an article came out today, I think by uh, Steelers beat writer. I'm not sure. I'm forgetting the name. But he said that he doesn't think uh, the Steelers re-signed Juju, Connor, mm-hmm. and Villanueva. You know, and if if that's a scenario, like I have Claypool too low. If You know, part of keeping Claypool where he is is envisioning that Juju's locked in as the number one. Deon, Deontay Johnson had a pretty solid year, so maybe he's the two or the three and Claypool mixes in there. But all of a sudden, if they move on from Juju Smith after the season, then Claypool's upside, you know, substantially rises. So I think that's an interesting one. DJ Dallas, for sure, with the health of Richard Penny and Chris Carson, I don't. I think he's an average talent, but we've seen you know where Chris Carson was drafted and then what he became there in Seattle. So I think he's worth uh, a late flyer there. We didn't even we didn't pick Zach Moss. I you know say what it is. I do think he compliments Devin Singletary very well. I wasn't as high on Zach Moss as some people pre-draft, uh, but he he did he does have some good draft capital attached to him. It, Again, the Josh Allen factor is going to take a lot of the touchdowns. So I think that caps Zach Moss's value a little bit. I think it personally caps Devin Singletary's a little bit because, you know, Devin Singletary is going to catch the passes. But if he's sharing early down work with Zach Moss and then Zach Moss and or Josh Allen are catching the or are rushing the touchdowns, I, I think Singletary really took a, a big hit on, on draft weekend. Uh, some wide receivers, Van Jefferson is probably the best wide receiver with the most draft capital attached to him. Uh, some deeper guys down, obviously, like the guys like Quintus Cephas, Antonio Gandy Golden, Gabriel John, uh, Gabriel Davis, Tyler Johnson to keep an eye on. And then, uh, oh, obviously all the tight ends. I think Adam Trapman, Devin Asiasi, and Cole Komet are probably the top three there. And then some other running backs. Keep an eye on Michael Pirine. I think this is Le'Veon Bell's last year with the Jets. So they probably replace him with someone more talented. But Michael Pirine could get an opportunity there. And then also Joshua Kelly with the Chargers. Uh, I think Austin Eckler fits best in, in that 14 to 15 touch role. So it'd be interesting to see if Joshua Kelly can push Justin Jackson to become that number two there. And, and does he have any value down the line uh, in that charger backfield? So I think those are probably the other names that would make up a round three or even part of round four. Oh, and I left out Darrington Evans. Yes. Yeah, so I was just about to say, yeah, 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 very much. He's got to be on the radar because Derrick Henry franchise tag. We don't know what the future holds there. Yes. I don't think Darrington Evans would take over a feature role, but very similar to when we had the conversation about Anthony McFarlane, if it's 40-60, if it's 50-50, that might be enough for Darrington Evans to be fantasy viable due to his big play ability for sure. So those are some of the other guys uh, that I think uh, would be in the mix here in, in a round three and a round four if we kept uh, playing this you know out. What? For I'll, sure. give you, I'll give you one more that's not getting any <clears throat> attention at all, and just and, and rightfully so probably, but I, I, I think he's way better than people are giving him credit for, and he goes to a situation where he has an opportunity – I'm going to throw out Colin Johnson because I think Colin Johnson in Jacksonville, I think that's interesting. I listen, they threw Chris, they threw Connolly out on the field. So, I mean, you have DJ Chark, you have DD Westbrook. 
you know, LaVisca Chenault's a great receiver, but Colin Johnson, man, is no slouch. And he's a huge, huge player. And I, I don't think he's any worse the wear for the situation that he's in. There's an opportunity. I think you could do a lot worse than grabbing him at the end of round three or round four or anywhere in there as an upside play. Because I wouldn't be shocked if he's a guy that could garner more targets over time, especially if we're playing with a quarterback like Gardner Minshew or somebody who's still developing where they just need that security blanket of a big, tall, catch radius, big wide receiver. That's Colin Johnson written all over it. Yeah, I, I listen, and we said before, if their plans for LaVisca Chenault are to use the, in that you know new position that we're creating here, you know that that there could be a scenario where Colin Johnson gets a chance to develop into maybe an outside wide receiver with DJ Chark and then LaVisca Chenault doing all that other stuff. And I will say, I mentioned Quintus Cephas's name before. I could see a scenario where Marvin Jones is not on the Lions, traded either at the trade deadline or after the season. He's gone. That Quintus Cephas is the guy who I think has a lot of talent, tested poor at the combine, but that was never really going to be his game. So I think there is a path for Quintus Cephas to develop potentially into, you know, a part of a top three wide receiver there uh, with the Lions. So he's a, he's another guy that I find interesting. Guys, we've almost hit the two-hour mark here. Uh, thank you so much, Shane Tyler. Greatly appreciate you coming back on the show. Uh, you know, a, a truly a blast. Lots of laughs, but lots of really good football talk, too. Talking players, scheme, fits, all that fun stuff. Uh, Shane, let me kick it to you first. Uh, let the audience know where they can follow you and anything else you want to share. Um, yeah, so I'm at uh, Shane is the worst. Um, Tyler actually gave me that name. <laughs> um, it's kind of hurtful, but that's we actually guy can't I say that. We can't say that here in Minnesota. We go to jail for like I think it's a two year sentence. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Just follow me there. You know, Dynasty Trades HQ. I'm happy that this is now uh, an annual event. Um, excited next year. Maybe we can do it without Tyler. Um, <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? <laughs> nothing, nothing. No, yeah, man. Um, You're not on mute people. this time, like you've always been tonight. <laughs> and I just excited, happy that I got a chance to talk football. Yeah, like two hours talking, whatever. I don't care. I'd be honest for three hours. I don't know how people would feel about listening to that. <laughs> uh, Tyler, let me send it over to you. Uh, yeah, it's been a blast. Like Shane said, it's awesome. Shane, it, as much as he gives me a hard time, it's always fun to chat with Shane. He's one of the best out there. And same with you two, Matt and Paul. I mean, you guys have been pumping out content for, for years now. And uh, top notch, as always. Thanks for having me on. You can find me at Dynasty Happy Hour. Uh, follow me. I'm almost to 6,000. I don't know how, Shane, how much you paid for those bots that follow you. But, man, I it was, think. It wasn't that much, dude. You pay $20 and you get a bunch of these fake follows. So Okay. I got to look into that. But, no. I'm like 10 away and I can't believe 5,000 and like 970 people actually pay attention to me. So, I mean, the other couple hundred I I get, but yeah, the 5,000 is unbelievable, but it's been a blast. Uh, I mean, go follow my co-host Tim and Doug. They make the show and I, and I'm just on the show. If it wasn't for them, I probably would be at the 70 follower mark, but they, they carry the show. Love those guys. And uh, 
I just one up Shane because he didn't mention his co-host. So now, uh, <laughs> you follow uh, uh, FF Madman at Madman Jeremy Brown. Just look at the Dynasty Trades HQ handle. All of our names are in there. There's Sipes and Jeremy. Make sure you follow them because they're the best co-hosts in the world. <laughs> Way better than Ty. <laughs> we could just sit here and one up each other the whole night. No, 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 no. <laughs> Guys, make sure you're following both these guys and all their co-hosts and everybody else affiliated with them. Uh, let's get Tyler to that number that he wants. So if you're not, if you're a listener to our show and not following him, make sure you follow him. Let's get him to that number that he wants to hit. Matt, any 16. final closing parting shots? No, the uh, freshman notebook will be out this week, so enjoy it. It'll be out uh, probably. Well, this is Saturday, so it'll be out probably uh, Sunday evening. So check in on the morning on Monday and. Um, I'm excited to be done with that and kind of thinking about moving forward with the uh, next class. So here we go, man. Absolutely. It's, it's almost time while well, we'll continue to recap, you know, the 2020 draft class and, and all things that for the next probably two months or so uh, behind the scenes, we will turn the page shortly to the 21, the 2021 draft class and start working on that scouting notebook and hope that we are going to have a college football season but even if we don't, there is still plenty of prospects to talk about uh, for that class a year out from now. So, guys, thank you so much again for all of you. Uh, greatly appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, for Matt and for our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and for myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.